This is the Brew World Order Podcast. Welcome to the Brew World Order Podcast. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, well, the time is now. This is episode number 56, and in this episode, I sit down with Keith Chapman, co-owner of Bonehouse Brewing in Fountain Hills, Arizona. Keith tells me why they chose the location to open their brewery, how the beers on tap have adapted over the years, and he tells me a creepy story about how skulls and bones have flown around the Bonehouse Brewery on their own doing, and even shattered. My Bonehouse can completely relate to that, and by Bonehouse, I mean my body. The place that houses my bones. Sometimes my bones feel as if they have a mind of their own because they always seem to be aching for no reason. Some people say it's the drinking of too many beers, but I say they should mind their damn business if they know what's good for them. So please, do as I do. Sit back, crack open a beer, and enjoy the podcast. And rest those weary bones in your bone house. Hey guys, I'm Mike Curtin. This is the Brew World Order Podcast, and today I'm with Keith Chapman, co-owner of Bonehouse Brewing in Fountain Hills, Arizona. Keith Chapman grew up in New Hampshire, and being from New England, he naturally became a fan of beer. He attended Clarkson University in Potsdam, New York, and after college, he went on to work for Fender Musical Instruments doing research and development. Part of the job meant traveling to different parts of the world, which included Asia, Europe, and the United States. Wherever he went, he would always try the local food and, of course, the local beer as well. He worked for Fender for about 19 years until his friend Andy Weiner approached him with the idea of starting a business together. When Keith asked him which type of business, Andy told him he wanted to start a microbrewery. Keith impulsively said yes without really knowing what he was getting himself into just yet. But it all worked itself out as Andy had been homebrewing for over 25 years. They started planning for over a year and a half. Andy wound up doing the production side and Keith on the marketing, operations, and sales side of things. After finding the perfect location and building out one of the coolest tap rooms Arizona's ever seen, they opened their doors to the public in May of 2018 as Bonehouse Brewing. And Keith Chapman's here with me today. Keith, how's it going? Doing great. How are you? All right. Um, so what made you choose, uh, out of all the places in the world, Fountain Hills, Arizona, for your location? Uh, well, actually, I've lived here for over 25 years, and uh, we moved here from New England, and uh, we wanted our brewery to kind of be close to home, because uh, with any startup, you never know when you're going to be needed <laughs> Yeah, right. at the location. So um, we actually spent uh, quite a bit of time looking for the right location in town here. Uh, my partner, Andy, is also... Uh, has been in Fountain Hills for a long time. So we wanted it close to our house, and uh, we actually looked at 13 different buildings, and we ended up uh, uh, renting the thir- 13th one. And uh, it's only about 10 minutes from our house. And, um, yeah, there wasn't uh, a lot of breweries in this section of town. Uh, the closest one was about a 20-minute drive. Uh, so we're Fountain Hills' first and only brewery. Very so cool. Kind of, we ended up there. Very cool. Now, during that process of when you finally decided to open a brewery to the moment you opened the doors, what would you say is the most challenging? What was the most challenging part for you during that time period? Um, Well, there were a lot of challenges, obviously, but um, I think 
with the build out was probably the biggest challenge uh, because um, from the very beginning, we had wanted to have a very strong brand and an environment that kind of uh, fed that brand. Right. Uh, so we wanted an experience when you walked into our tap room just all by itself, not even getting to the beer, uh, just walking in and being like, wow. Um, <clears throat> so it actually took us uh, a year to build out the the space. Right. And uh, we had worked early with the town to kind of get all the logistics done uh, properly. So it wasn't really so much that. It was more of just the decor and getting all the details um, down to, to match our brand. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. And it is an experience. I uh, I saw from my with my own eyes. It is uh, quite overwhelming. Yeah, we. <laughs> it's very cool. Very cool for sure. I enjoyed it. In our first year uh, of being open, uh, we had uh, one visitor come in. Um, never approached the bar. Just kind of walked around the tap room. Probably took about I don't know 150, 200 pictures. <laughs> And uh, finally came to the bar and uh, asked him, you know, you know, what he'd like to drink. He's like, oh, I don't drink alcohol. Uh, <laughs> I, I heard about this place from a, a Phoenix Magazine article and uh, I worked for Disney, so I had to come and check it out. <laughs> Very cool. I was going to say, what, is he going to walk up and say, yeah, no, I don't want any beer. I just want to see the place. And yeah, that's yeah, what he did. That's pretty funny. <laughs> I think he ordered a root beer and took a bunch of pictures and was like, yeah, this is fantastic. So right. I was like. So, a good comp. Uh, how did you go about finding the capital to fund your business? Uh, actually, we were completely self-funded when we started. Very so, cool. Um, we had kind of used our own savings. Um, yeah. My partner, Andy, was uh, an executive at Microsoft um, and had been retired. Uh, myself, I was an executive at Fender Musical Instruments and right. left there. So, just money we had kind of saved. Um and uh, we, we agreed from the beginning that we were going to start on a shoestring and just kind of build the brand slowly. Um, and we're at the point now where three and a half uh, years in, um, still been profitable the whole time for the most part. Um, and uh, now we're starting a fundraising campaign on Start Engine, actually, uh, which we started last last week. And uh, so we're doing crowd equity crowdsourcing and uh, trying to get us to the next level. And uh, in one week, we've already raised two hundred thirty-five thousand dollars. So that's wow, uh, great. Yeah, it's a beautiful and thing, got, man. Uh, yeah, and we got six months of that. So um, yeah, we're excited about that because that's going to let us get to a new production level and uh, hopefully get into better distribution channels with grocery stores and things like that. Right, right. Very cool. Getting out mm -hmm. there. Um, yeah. So what's something you never thought you were going to have to deal with when opening a brewery? Uh, vomit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> that does happen, I, I assume. No, it's only happened once, but still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I think, I think what it is, is just, uh, it's a, it's a, it can be a messy business, you know, from right. the brew house to everything else in between. And, uh, you can't be afraid to get down and dirty and work hard. Um, so yeah, it's one of those things where, uh, you can be doing spreadsheets from one moment and, you know, acting all executive like, and then, uh, the next day you're, you're removing, you know, grains from the mash done. Right. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of fulfilling in that sense. Um, 
because you can kind of shift gears from a mental game to a physical game. And um, I, I personally enjoy that quite a bit. Right. Yeah, very yeah. Uh, versatile uh, business for sure. Yeah, well, you know, when you're <laughs> when you're in a startup, especially the brewery, it's like everything's just got to get done. Yeah, you got to be a jack of all trades, so to speak, right? That's right. Uh, yeah, you yeah. just get it done. Yeah. So, what qualities do you possess that make you a good business owner? Oh uh, well, um, I used to manage a team of a hundred engineers uh, and support staff at Fender. So, <clears throat> I think having run through such a powerful brand uh working with marketing every day uh trying to design new products that uh fit a very established um customer base uh led me to kind of get to a point where i developed some strong leadership skills and also some creativity so um i kind of pride myself on the creative side of the business uh trying to get you know just the brand established consistent uh entertaining and then also to kind of provide fun things for our customers to do while they're enjoying our beer uh so you know coming up with creative events um kind of coming up with creative stories things like that and then also making creative business decisions like for example when covid hit uh we actually grew 30 percent, and that was basically because my partner and i decided to kind of shift our entire business uh to canning as much as possible right and as the wholesale business was kind of drying up we were still able to do curbside during that and people came out took our beer through cans and um you know, so that, for me, it's leadership and creativity are probably the two biggest things. Gotcha. You know, being uh, creative, uh, is there anybody that you've actually were inspired by in the beer industry or just in general to get that, that thought process for your business, for well, the model for uh, your business? I, I kind of consume a lot of different art and a lot of different, well, I'll leave it in general terms is, is art. I mean, obviously, I've been inspired by music my entire life. Right, right. Uh, spent 25 years in, in that industry basically um <clears throat> and when you work with uh top-notch artists that you know every household names basically uh in a close environment you, you kind of get the sense of um uh, the awe that they portray just because of the amount of work they put in so to me it's you know some people think it's your creativity is just something you you're born with and i i would i would disagree I think anybody can be creative. They just have to work at it. Um, Because every artist I ever worked with was incredibly diligent on how hard they worked to get there and to maintain it. So uh, endless hours of practice and trying things. And and to me, that's where the creativity comes from, is the opportunity uh, given you by just practice. So I don't know that I had any one specific... Um, inspiration for the creativity is just uh, I was fortunate enough to work with some really really talented people uh, and just kind of observed throughout the years of just how they did their work and kind of took pieces from everybody I, I worked with you know right. yeah yeah it's awesome how do you define success and was there also a moment for you that kind of stands out while you were opening your brewery that kind of like made you realize you were going in the right direction? Sure. Um, so for me, success has a number of elements to it. Um, you know, obviously there's the financial success um, and 
to me, you know, that's not necessarily the most important, but uh, being comfortable, keeping my family comfortable, uh, right. so you don't have to worry about the bills every day. That's that's uh, one of those things where if you can relieve the stress of financial burdens, then um, to me, that's a successful, you know, venture. When we first started taking payment for ourselves, that was kind of the turning point for me of like, hey, this could actually work. Right. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, for a while there, you, you take no pay just because you got to get everything going. And um, <clears throat> when you when you get that first return, as small as it is, it, it's just uh, it's gratifying because you created the opportunity completely on your own uh, to to bring that money in. So. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of one aspect is the financial, uh, piece, obviously. I mean, everyone's in business to make some form of money. Otherwise it would be a charity. Of course. Right. So that's, uh, important. Uh, the, the other part of success too, is really kind of taking care of my team. We have such a passionate, uh, team that it's one of those things that, you know, you kind of make sure that everyone's got a growth path and, doing things that they want to do for the business and for themselves. And when that, when those two things can coincide, uh, that's where the magic is. So for me, when I see some of our employees kind of growing into a new role or learning new skills, it's just really satisfying. So to me, that's one of the best things about running your own business is when you got a core team that's so passionate about what you're doing that you can feed them more things for them to grow. And it's, it's just this really satisfying feeling. Very cool. So I know uh, sometimes for people uh, being a business owner and having to deal with a little bit of everything kind of becomes overwhelming. Sure. How important is a mental break for you? And what does that look like? Uh, it's funny you mention that because that's been a recent thing. <laughs> for Good. Me. Good. So, I'd love to hear uh, about it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm always willing to work and, uh, that can sometimes, you know, wear you down where you start to burn out. Um, and I've had, you know, family members and friends kind of pull me aside even recently and just say, Hey, you know, you might be putting in a few too many hours. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So how about we do stuff, you know? So actually I started, uh, learning how to skateboard, uh, at age 51. So that's been something new, something I've wanted to do. And, um, you know, a friend of mine, uh, suggested we go do that. So started doing that. Um, and, uh, as a musician too, I, I've always wanted to kind of do my own music and put out my own album. So, uh, last February I took the month of February to do an album. And so it's, it's one of those things where I have to actually schedule the time to go do some of the mental breaks from the business. And, um, you know, I also have two, uh, teenagers too. So it's, um, you gotta be a dad, you gotta be a husband, for sure. you gotta be, you know, businessman and you gotta be a friend. And, um, it's just trying to find the balance between all that and having some time to shut down. So usually my shutdown includes doing some sports, uh, either basketball, skateboarding, wakeboarding, or, um, or playing guitar. Gotcha. What do you think's been the biggest change in the beer industry in the last five years for you? Well, um, I mean, obviously there's trends and things, um, you know, as far as beer styles go. Um, I think, I think there's a couple of events that, um, I've noticed and, you know, it could just be localized too. I think everyone's going to have a different opinion on that question. But for me personally, 
Uh, I've seen kind of a rise in stronger, stronger beers, higher ABV, um, you know, uh, higher alcohol content. Um, I've seen that kind of trend. Obviously, the sour trend um, has been active for a while. For sure. Uh, but still, for, for us, uh, where we are, it's, um, the New England IPAs and the West Coast IPAs are, are definitely dominant uh, as far as popularity. But, um, yeah, the other thing, too, is uh, I've noticed with the industry is how uh, between the different state laws and the different uh reaction to COVID um, from the last year or so um, businesses have had to totally shuffle the deck basically and kind of either reinvent or, you know, do things that they normally wouldn't do to, to survive. And um, I think, you know, at least in Arizona, I think we kind of maintained as, a, as an industry, we maintained pretty well through all that. Um, and it's just interesting to see how different breweries will, kind of change their business um as the economy changes basically you know um for us like i said before we kind of went more to a canning um solution rather than kegging and that happened to get us through since we got into total wine in arizona we've had to maintain that as well so uh that's been you know now bringing up kegging and canning now we've got um you know, some growth to bring our production up to. So that's kind of my perspective. Yeah. Getting into total wine is a big one, man. That, that place is, yeah, uh, that, was a that place is insane. For, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're carrying nine of our beers here locally in Arizona. Awesome. That's, yeah. It's, that's it's fantastic. Been, uh, they've been a great customer and easy to partner with. So, right. So what are the beers on tap at your brewery look like? That's interesting. So um, I would say there's two phases to this. <laughs> okay. Uh, when we first started, when we first opened our doors, we only had dark beers on tap. Um, so uh, my partner Andy, our brewmaster, um, is he was known like with the friends that uh, he would have over for his stouts. Um, everyone loved his stouts, and obviously he made other styles that were great too, but. Everyone kind of raved about his stouts. So we, you know, when we first got our brew system, he was trying to learn it because, you know, going from a five gallon brew batch to 300 gallons, you know, a 10 barrel system is quite a jump. Um, and so as he was learning that, um, he, he basically wanted to kind of start where he was most comfortable, which was in the stouts. And so we had stouts and porters on tap. And, um, I would say, you know, Back then, that was kind of put. It was kind of a unique position to be in in Arizona, where the heat is, and you're right. mostly getting dark beers on tap. <laughs> so um, it wasn't by necessarily by design. It was just more out of necessity to kind of feel out the system. So fast forward six months or so, and now we're comfortable with the system, and everything was going pretty well. Um, we started this uh, um, line of beers actually uh, called Desert Distortion, which is our New England hazy IPA, and um, that that has just gone uh, absolutely uh, bonkers as far as uh, the different different variations we do on that beer. Um, we have a blood orange version of that beer that's super popular. We've done uh, nine different versions of that beer. Um, 
actually probably more at this point. And uh, we've also done a double and a triple based off of that core recipe. So we did Desert Wild and Desert Demon, um, the double and triple coming off of that. So that whole line has probably been our breakthrough uh, as far as our local market here. That's been our best-selling beer um, for quite some time. Gotcha, man. So it's my favorite question. What was your gateway beer into the craft beer world? Um, boy, that's a tough question to answer. I don't know that there was one. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Usually everybody's got one like Sierra, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale or like Blue Moon or Sam Adams, something like that. There was nothing that you no. that you kind of like no. went. And the reason is is because it was all local beers from when I traveled. So it was, gotcha. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'd be in Finland and tra- trying beers from Finland and, you know, I probably couldn't even name one Finnish beer from, <laughs> from that I had that on that trip. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So it was more of a generic thing. It was just like I appreciated the craft of local breweries more so than the, the standard beer that you could get anywhere. And so for me, it wasn't any one particular beer or even acknowledging that it was craft it was just one of those things where i was always trying local stuff right and even in china where you try local beer it's like you know nothing like what's here of Um, course right you know it's mass produced and it's it's very light and it's not a drink that they their culture focuses on but you know i still go through it still try it and it's like yeah okay and whether you like it or not you get a you get a sense for it and um for me it was there was never a single beer that said oh wow this is a craft beer this is what i like um it was more of just trying different beers from different breweries across the world nice yeah so yeah. You, so you're never really a, a a bud bud across the board guy and then all of a sudden one day open your mind yeah, something opened your mind to to something different so i had i had some nice beers growing up because um i grew up in new england and oh. I was always, I was always fond of uh, Guinness and Sam Adams. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then I went to school in upstate New York, which and it was uh, Canada was a twenty-minute drive. So you know, drinking age was a lot less. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so we, yeah. <laughs> we would go grab uh, Brodeur and Molson Golden, and so that those were my college beers. Gotcha. Was, uh, you know, pretty decent beers for for a college budget. You know. Right. Right. So I never really, I never really went the light beer to craft beer route. I've always kind of been in the, um, you know, I'd say Sam Adams was probably the very first uh, official craft beer that I ever had. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, continue, continue, sorry. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say it's, it's kind of a difficult beer to avoid in Boston. Oh, for (laughs) sure. Oh, for sure. (laughs) It's kind, of, it's kind of part of the culture up there. Yeah, right? it is. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was one of the, when I went up there, uh, one of the first times I think I, I went on the tour of the place. And Octo- sure. Oktoberfest was one of my favorite beers at the time. And they had just finished the first batch and put it on tap. So I got like the first taste of it off the tap at the brewery. Amazing. My That's jo- awesome. I think my jaw dropped. I was like, oh my God, so fresh. Yep. Um, <laughs> so... So what's next for your brewery? What's next? What does the future look like for Bonehouse? Yeah, so um, we're actually really starting our next growth curve um, formally and and also just internally like dreaming and thinking about where we can go with it. Um, 
like I mentioned, we're, we've started a crowdsourcing campaign uh, to kind of get funds and buy-in from our customers and uh, people who are enthusiastic about craft beer and growing that industry. Um, and so our biggest next step is to try to get into uh, better distribution distribution channels and to ramp up our production to meet the needs of like local grocery chains and things like that. So we can provide a consistent beer on a consistent basis and, you know, um, we don't want to get into those accounts without first uh, being able to prove out our production and making sure we can deliver on what we say we're going to deliver on. So uh, for me, that's really important. Missing turns is just not uh, something you ever want to do. So um, for us, that's kind of the immediate next step. Um, and then beyond that, you know, it's uh, expanding the tap room. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be, uh, you know, too sad to see another location pop up in Arizona right. um, in the next couple of years. Uh, also, you know, with all my ties to the music industry and things like that, I've always kind of wanted a, a music venue to tie into uh, the brewery. And so that's probably in the, in the plans, um, you know, whether it's sooner or later, it will depend on, you know, funding and, and the ability to... Uh, kind of get our production so for me production is kind of the number one thing um on the logistics side and and the number one thing on the retail side is really just the customer experience and the brand uh just want to stay consistent and have it exciting and entertaining for our customer base right i was i mean just out of uh my own personal experience old town uh scottsdale doesn't sound like a bad spot for a music venue man yeah, there's a slash lot brewery there. i know there's 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 already a brewery over there i, I forgot the name that i went yep. to but yeah that doesn't sound like a bad spot you know if somebody came to you for advice on opening their own brewery which i'm i'm sure you have had that happen already what advice would sure. you give them um well that's a wide open that's like hours upon hours of conversation but uh right. i think i think what it is is really uh for me personally which I think would be a unique stance is really think about what your brand is and what it means. Um, because I, I see too many, uh, breweries in our industry, like just kind of make wonderful beer, uh, but it doesn't have a story to it or anything, right. which is great. It's, it's definitely a way to do the business. Um, I'm not saying everything's got to be branded, but, um, what I've seen is, um, it kind of stokes more customer loyalty. Uh, the industry has turned into uh, wanting what's new as opposed to what's my favorite beer. Um, right. You know, when I grew up and like after college, I would say, you know, it's like I always drank the same thing when I went into a bar and if they didn't have it, I'd have like a backup beer that I would ask for. Okay. And uh, today I think it's like, well, what, what do you have that's new? You know, and there, there's more of this experimental, I just want to try something new, especially with the advent of uh, apps like Untapped, where it's a social beer uh, or beer social media platform For sure. where you're logging different beers and things like that, sharing with your friends. I mean, it's to me, it's uh, everyone's looking for the newest thing. So for, for me, <clears throat> when you have a brand that's consistent across those new things, uh, people might remember you a little better as opposed to, Oh, I had that one beer. I can't remember who made it, but it was really good. Right. <laughs> you know, gotcha. you, you don't really want that as a business person. So 
um, you'd like to be memorable, uh, even if it's a new thing in a one shot, you know. So that's why I think a brand is more important these days than maybe 10 years ago in, in our industry, because people are just looking for the latest, greatest thing. Right. All right. Yeah. And did you happen to have a funny story for us? Well, I don't know how humorous it is, but it's kind of odd. Okay. <laughs> so obviously we're called the Bone House. We have a, a pretty broad collection of actual bones and skulls and whatnot from animals and things like that. Okay. And uh, we actually have some real human bones in the tap room as well. And so we have this fox skull that's mounted uh, on a board that was leaning up against the shelf behind the register. One night, it flew across the room, smashed into the bar doors, and uh, fell to the ground. And there's nothing behind that wall that it sits on other than a cooler, so there's no vibration, no nothing. Some customers who saw the whole thing were just sitting there with their mouths open, going, uh, uh, what just happened? Our bartender, Rachel, actually picked it up. It wasn't damaged in any way, put it back. The next time Rachel worked, two or three days later, the skull flew across again, hit the doors, and uh, shattered into like a million pieces. And so uh, (laughs) she sent me a text going, the fox committed suicide. Jesus. (laughs) And so uh, we we actually ended up naming a beer called the Haunted Fox to kind of pay tribute to that. Yeah. Yeah, we've had other weird instances like that in the tap room. We have a uh, human rib, actually, a, a, an actual human rib right. that's behind the bar. Actually, Rachel's brother, Clay, who works with us as well as bartender, uh, saw it kind of fly out off the shelf on, onto the ground all by itself as he was serving a beer. I don't know what's going on with, with these bones flying around, but uh, we've had a couple instances like that that are kind of freaking oh. people out. Yeah, weird stuff yeah. going on in the bone house, man. What? Yeah. What in so, the world? <laughs> I can't embrace it, you know? It's like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> hey. So you can let everybody know that if you, you stop by, you know, you may see some paranormal activity going on. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, we, we've had a few instances like that. It's been really kind of fun and cool. Actually. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a little scary, but a little cool. I like it. Yeah. Uh, so I have a little segment called Quick Fire 5, five quick questions, beer related. Ready? Yep. All right. Yeah. Somebody walks into your bar. One of the beers you'd recommend they try? Uh, Desert Distortion. Desert New Distortion, England. which is a the new New England IPA, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. If you can collaborate with any other brewery on a beer, who would it be? Hmm. Um, I'd probably go with Tombstone, which is uh, Tombstone Brewing here in Arizona. I, I really like their beers and, you know, great people as well. So Awesome. Favorite style of beer? I'm going to go with uh, Stout because that's been the longest one I've I've enjoyed the most. Um, recently, it's been more hazy IPAs, but I would say over my lifetime, definitely Stouts. All right. Barrel-aged, Imperial, or both? Uh, barrel-aged. Barrel-aged. <laughs> and uh, you have one keg of beer to hold you over for a two-week quarantine. Which beer are you choosing? beer the red race which is an irish red ipa that's my absolute favorite that we make all right keith that's all i got for you man i appreciate it all right cool man thank you thank you i'm mike Curtin for the brew world daughter podcast here with keith chapman from bonehouse brewing in fountain hills arizona thanks man
Thank you. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to my interview with Keith Chapman of Bonehouse Brewing Company in Fountain Hills, Arizona. Whether you're passing through, you live in the area, just visiting a friend nearby, you should definitely check them out. Also, give them a follow on social media while you're at it. Every other Sunday, I'll be releasing a new episode, so subscribe and you'll never miss one. Also, give us a follow on social media as well for updates on the podcast. I'm Mike Hurton for the Brew World Order Podcast. You stay safe out there.